I think that we'll look at today. It's a little bit of a way we can pave the way for the Lord in our lives, for this highway of Jesus that John the Baptist talks about. Um, so yeah, we've been looking at John the Baptist out of John. We're going to kind of jump into Luke today just to kind of get a little more of his story and this setup. And it's, it's really around this idea of expectation right now. So John is being set up. He's the herald and proclaimer of this good news on its way. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people are starting to stir a little bit toward this expectation because they've been waiting for it for a long, long time. And if you're familiar with the Bible, the arc of the Bible through the Old Testament, starting way back in Genesis, there's all these ups and downs of good things and bad things that happen for the people. They're constantly waiting for, for the next thing. They're trying to get out of whatever rut they're sort of in. They're in a rut again. They're waiting to be delivered. They're waiting for something to happen. And over the course of history, of Israel's history, they've been kind of waiting for this one big answer, right? There's been these little answers along the way, and they've gotten out of slavery, and they've established a temple, and they've gotten the laws back, and they have, uh, you know, a little bit of a kingdom, and then it goes away, and it comes back. But they're waiting for this Messiah, this, this, this ultimate arrival of God on the scene. That's, that's the Messiah. That would be Jesus. So there's this buildup for that. They don't know if it's happening at this time, if it's a later time, but they're, they're tremendously, there's this pressure, like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to change for good? And expectation in our lives kind of can put pressure on ourselves for that thing. Also for the thing that you're expecting, right? Have you ever been let, let down by an expectation? Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. And then it's like, wah, wah, wasn't that good, right? And so there's this little bit of pressure building up around the people. Now, my wife and I were at a, a Christmas tree lighting this, this past Christmas time over in our neighborhood. And uh, there's a great big tree in, in the, at the collection in River Park. And, and it's, that's pretty cool. And, and we thought, well, let's cruise over to lighting for that. Let's, let's cross the street. We'll go check it out. We walk over. Lighting was at 7. We walk over at, I don't know, 6.15, 6.30. So oh, it's going to be Christmas music and we'll light the tree. So we go over, we're hanging out, and we're kind of listening to music, and we're kind of look, start looking at your watch after a while when you're waiting for something to happen. Like, when is this going to happen? When are they going to light the darn tree, right? So we're super excited about the tree. Now we're a little bit angry about the tree experience. Like, this is getting kind of lame. And the band started playing Christmas songs. Then we're like, when are they going to wrap it up? And they said, we just got a few more. We're going to play a couple of originals. And they start singing their own songs that aren't even Christmas songs. And now we, like, hate the band. We're like, boo, hiss, get off the stage. You know, you're getting all kind of angsty toward this thing. Looking at your watch, they play again, they play again, and you're just getting bombed with the disappointment. You can't imagine who's in charge of this thing. They, they stink. We, they got to get a new event coordinator, and all these attitude changes from walking over to something that's supposed to be just kind of fun, like, oh, this will be fun. Let's go see this thing, to sort of fill like angst and disappointment, a little bit of letdown. You're trying to find someone to blame over this whole thing, and eventually they, they bring the lights down, and, and a tree goes up, but there's no music, and it was just a little bit like, Oh, the tree's cool, but wah, wah, let's go home, right? And you're kind of like, wow, what happened there? Because there was so much opportunity for something fun. And so the, the people of Israel, we have to understand this as we look at the Gospels, they're just living under this, this weird pressure cooker of a situation of tension. They want to believe in something so bad, but there's this, there's this hesitancy, this caution, this one caveat that, what if that's not it? Because if it's not it, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to be caught up in this thing again. And if we can go back just a little bit, just to kind of set this, this, this time period up, we're around, you know, 30 A.D., 28 A.D., John the Baptist probably got called, 27 A.D., he's called out. And, and in Jerusalem, Israel is under the oppression of Rome. They're able to live there peaceably and kind of retain their, uh, their religion and some of their laws, but they're essentially captives in this, in this, uh, under this Roman Empire. And they're waiting to get out of it. And if we go back just 200 years earlier, uh, the... Uh, people of Israel were kind of held captive ag again by what was a fragment of the Greek Empire, the Seleucids. So Alexander the Great, if you heard about him in school, you know, he, he kind of took over the world. The Greeks were before Rome. They, 
uh, had a massive, massive empire. And when he died, the empire kind of broke up and split apart. And Israel kind of thought, oh, maybe we have a chance now that he's gone. We can kind of get back to business and get our temple up and going again. But this other fraction broke off from, from Alexander the Great's empire, from the Greeks, other Hellenistic culture, and was this called the Seleucid Empire. And they had, they had taken over Israel in that part of the country, I think, uh, of the world. I think we have a map of that. Throw that first map up there, Alex. That's a little blurry, but um, if you could kind of see that part of the orange, that's Judea. And there was this effort of Jews coming out of the desert of like guerrilla warfare called the Maccabean Revolt. And right around this time period, they decide we're not going to take this anymore. And so we're going to do something about this. And they just started this really active uh, kind of creative guerrilla warfare coming out of the desert to take back their their place, take back Jerusalem, to set the temple back up. And the snapping point for them, the tipping point was the Seleucids said, hey, your, your religion's no mosque. You can't practice that anymore, so we're cutting it off. And there was guys in this time that known as now the Maccabees. Maccabees is a uh, Hebrew word for hammer, so they, they kind of dubbed these guys the hammers. The hammer empire, this hammer revolt, ra- rose up, came out of the desert, and it kind of came through different ways, hillsides, uh, much like we did to gain our independence here in America, and they took over the Seleucids, and they pushed them out. And over the course of about 100 years, they actually gained back quite a bit of, of territory for Israel up and through that uh, yellow, yellow zone. They sort of reclaimed much of their land, even into a little bit of the purple and the green up top there, that Seleucid Empire, pushed them way out. So this was not that far beyond the time period we're looking at in the Bible. So the Jewish people, Israel knows, hey, we can do this thing. We've been held captive before. We've been under the, the grips of a rem- oppressive empire before. We can do something about this. Remember the Maccabees. Remember the hammer, right? That revolt that was born out of a sort of desert guerrilla warfare uh, army. And so they have this in their mind. This isn't thousands of years ago. This is a couple hundred years ago, 150 years ago from the people of this time. So this is fresh in their mind, this idea of we can do something about this situation, right? And so that goes on. They push the Seleucids out. They kind of regain their situation. Then Rome comes on around 60, 63 B.C. And Rome, of course, conquers Jerusalem, conquers much of the, of the world at that time. Uh, but Rome granted Jerusalem somewhat independence, right? They allowed them to have religious freedom. J- Julius Caesar actually recognized Ju- Judaism as a legal religion, so they're allowed to operate there, but with major strings attached as we kind of look out through the Gospels, right? They're still under this oppression of Rome. And so the people are kind of stirring at this time again, again, all right, this is happening to us again. We've got to do something again. And then, lo and behold, there's this voice calling in the wilderness, echoing prophets of old, like, hey, maybe this is it. Maybe this guy out in the desert is going to rally this movement. Maybe this will be something like the Maccabees that we heard about. Maybe we can do something about these guys and push them out. Maybe we can head back out into the desert and regroup and move on. So there's this collective, this collection of people's out following John, and John's got his message. He's paving the way in the desert, uh, a highway for the, for the coming Lord. And we can pop, pop down on the next, next slide there, Alex. Uh, this is kind of where they are. He's way out. There's, there's uh, Jerusalem's down below. We looked at this last week. And Galilee's kind of up around that upper lake, and, and the baptism where John is is probably out there across the Jordan, that little dot down below. And he's out there in the wilderness, very similar to kind of where the Maccabees rose up. So there's something calling to come, something happening in the desert again, the people of Israel are getting word of. And they're excited about this. They're flocking to John, and John's preaching truth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus eventually goes out there, but again, it's out in this wilderness. I think a couple more pictures just to flash through this. We looked through this last week. Desert wilderness. Uh, next one. Just kind of these little pools. This is probably likely where Jesus was baptized. These sort of muddy pools of water out in the wilderness. John's collecting people. And then I think there's one more. 
Yeah, more like streams like this. It probably wasn't real lush and amazing, these kind of pools, but this wilderness experience that John's preaching out there. People are coming to him. Remember, John's in his camel, his camel hair costume, and he's eating locusts and honey, and he's just sort of living like this crazy, poor hippie, and people are coming out, and they want to be part of it. And he starts baptizing. He says, repent, repent, turn around, start living differently. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. People are coming and coming. And when he's baptizing people, this is kind of different for the time. The Jews and some of the pseudo-Jewish religions, the Essenes, they were into baptism by way of cleansing. But it was more of these steps in a ritual. So there would be multiple baptisms, multiple cleansings over a period of time and for the rest of your life. And John seemed to have adopted this one-time thing. It's one baptism. The only other people who maybe would have got one baptism, one dunk like that, would have been Gentiles coming over who were proselytized to Judaism. So those who were way far off, who had no business being Jews, sometimes they were able to come over. They kind of did this one, sort of one dunk, one immersion through the water. And that's what John was doing to everybody, even the Jewish people. So that sort of sets us up a little bit. And we're going to read Luke. Uh, Luke today, we've kind of been in John, and I, looked at, I think we looked at Matthew last week. But here's Luke's account of John the Baptist. I'll make a couple comments on that. The 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Etoria and Trachonitis. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan. So the Jordan's sort of inland, uh, inland from Jerusalem across some hillsides. He went to the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. We talked last week about this idea of creating a highway through the desert wasteland for our Lord. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be made low, crooked become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. He said to the crowds who came out to be baptized, now this is some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Root of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance, and don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. So he has really strong words for these religious leaders who came out. Now, these religious leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, they weren't friends. They didn't like each other. Uh, They were typically at odds. However, they joined forces typically when things of God were happening. And they sort of resisted John. They, They came together for Jesus and things like that. So they come out. John chastised them. And he kind of knows what they're thinking already. So we have Abraham for our father. He says, don't start saying to yourself, we have Abraham for our father. Don't say to yourselves. And I thought about that question, that process, even in our own lives, as we attempt to grow spiritually, individually, collectively for the kingdom. What is that that we say to ourselves that holds us back? What are those things that keep us from really engaging the Holy Spirit, from really walking behind Jesus? He says, don't say to yourselves, you're from Abraham. They're going to say, hey, we're good already. We're good. We were born into this. We're fine. I don't need to do anything different. I'm good. We're here to question you. Don't say to yourselves, what's that blank? I think that might be a slide up there for that. Don't say to yourselves what? What are you saying to yourself that keeps you from encountering the living God? What are you saying to yourself that keeps you from clearing a highway for Jesus in your life? And these guys came loaded with that. We're already fine. We're from Abraham. It's in our blood. We follow the law. We were born into this. And so the people around in verse 11, 
They're hearing this, and it sounds kind of scary. It's like, oh, my gosh, the axe is going to come. It's going to cut us down. There's going to be fire, and if it doesn't have fruit, like, we're done. It sounds pretty intense. And if God's coming to earth and there's this Messiah that's meant to be coming, that's plausible. He could be angry. He might not be stoked. John was sort of preaching he's coming by grace, but there's a little fear here because he's going to separate those who, are, those who are with him those who are against him. So they said, what shall we do? The crowds were asking him, what should we do? Everybody's saying, don't say to yourself, we're from Abraham. Don't do this. You guys are in trouble. So what shall we do? And I've, I've, I've preached on this before. It's one of the great bits of, of, of Scripture in, in setting up the coming of Jesus. What shall we do? He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. They asked him, teacher, what shall we do? He told them, don't collect any more than you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. So what should we do? There's this panic because Jesus is coming. The king is coming. God is coming. Prepare a highway for him in the wasteland. Apparently, it's not good enough to come from Abraham. What should we do? And he said, hey, listen, if someone you know, doesn't have a shirt, give him one of your shirts. If someone who doesn't have food, like, give him some of your food. Share your stuff. Start sharing your stuff with one another. That's how you can prepare. That's how you can clear away in this desert wilderness of, of our culture, of society, of your own hearts. You can begin giving your stuff away. Care for people. Charity, right? And tax collectors came to him. Now, tax collectors would have been uh, ostracized from the Jews. They were not welcome in Jewish circles. Uh, they kind of worked for the Roman Empire. Some of you probably heard that. So they were not uh, people typically that would be part of this, of this movement. Tax collectors came to him, teacher, what should we do? He said, don't collect any more than you have been authorized. Tax collectors had a sort of tendency to take, skim a little bit off the, off the top, as, as people still do today, right? Business, we sort of take a little bit for ourselves. We do our job, then we take a little more than maybe we should. He says, don't collect any more than you have been authorized. He said, practice your business honesty, honestly. Practice your business honestly. How relevant is that? You want to clear a way for Jesus in your life and in our culture? Those who are in business, practice your business honestly. That will get things out of the way. That will create a pathway. Soldiers came. Again, soldiers, probably not who you expect to be hanging around in kind of a Jewish revolution. They're, getting, they're, they're there to be baptized as well. I said, what should we do? He said, well, don't take any money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be, be satisfied with your wages. He's kind of saying, just be content. Do your job well. Be content. They're kind of wondering, well, should we start to fight? Should we get our arms together? Are we going to do a revolt? Say, listen, just... Just take it easy. Don't beat anyone up and steal their money. And be content with your wages. Right? Just sort of basic, basic stuff. Social ideas of charity, honesty, justice, contentment. Right? This is the way of creating a highway for Jesus in his desert wasteland. This is the fruit that John's talking about. This is the way to prepare for the kingdom of God at hand. It's the way to prepare for the kingdom of God to manifest in our day-to-day -day life. Charity, honesty, justice, contentment. Right, Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Very simple. If you want to be part of this story coming in, this incarnation of God on the planet on earth, said, listen, do these things. Behave this way in your everyday life. They're probably waiting. When are we going to start rallying weapons? When are we going to come up with a plan? When, when are we going to start drawing maps of how to like, overthrow these guys? Like, Don't do that. Don't worry about that. Somebody doesn't have a shirt, go give them a shirt. That's how you can prepare for the coming king. That's simple. 
I work, I was working with a, a woman this past couple weeks, and she runs a boutique in Ohio. I'm helping her with some marketing and some website stuff, and she just bought this business about six months ago, and, and uh, she called, called me up, and I was, said, yeah, I'll come eat with you and talk with her, and she's got this great shop, really great product, but she's just overwhelmed. She said, I just thought it would be easier. I just thought of it. She bought this business. She thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in carpentry. I'm going to buy a home on the beach. I just thought it would be easier. Man, I wanna, how many of us have said that to ourselves? I thought it would be easier. We started working through some of her stuff. And I started putting some steps for her. Here's some things you can do. And she had all these crazy ideas. And some of them are good, but there's just a lot of them. I said, let's just start somewhere. Let's start with, with this. Can we, do, can we get one product sort of going online for you or, or maybe three? She said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. And so we meet again, and I said, and she hadn't gotten me anything since the last time we met, so I need this, this, and this, then I can help you. She said, okay, okay. She goes back to her office and her work, and she, I write her a couple days later, hey, I still haven't got that thing. I still haven't got the stuff I need from you, some content I could help you with. And she just said, I, I, I give up. I'm just stuck. I don't know what to do. Right? And I'm like, I told you what to do. I need that from you. Then I can help you. But we, sometimes we get so overwhelmed, we just get stuck. Even our own spirituality or your life or career, I don't know what to do. Probably someone's giving you some advice of, of what to do. When we talk about our life, we feel stale with God or distant from God or away from God. Man, there's some really practical ways to re-engage that, right? Engage in a community, community read the Bible, pray, get around the right people. Right? And we get that kind of advice. You sometimes kind of roll your eyes like, ah, I don't really want to do that. It's too hard. What could I do? What should I do? I feel dry. What should I do? Man, we know what to do, but we don't want to do it. And so the religious leaders were getting advice from John about how to prepare for the kingdom of heaven on earth. They didn't want to do. They didn't care. It was too simple. They weren't interested in that. It was too simple and yet also too costly. Now, we have to start behaving in an upright manner all the time. Start sharing our stuff, not overtaxing people. Forget it. We're out. This must not be the right guy. And this sort of pressure built up on them. And the people are kind of soaking this up. They're, they're hungry for something like this. They're hungry for this other way. And, and the profundity of the kingdom of heaven is, is this wrapped up in simplicity, if we look at it in this context here. John said, hey, Jesus is coming. The guy who was there, he, cre- he created the heavens and the earth. He's coming. He loves you. He's coming with grace. What should we do? Hey, just start loving one another, treating one another with grace. That will create a, a pathway through this desert wasteland. John addresses the crowd and exhorts them, and, and they begin to embrace this. And I think for you and I, this is, this, this is something we can't miss because this is very profound. When he talks about here, what should I do in the context of your own life? Right? The soldier was meant to maintain being a soldier. The tax collector could stay a tax collector. Those who had a couple shirts, just give them away. But be in your life. Be aware of what's around you. Be attentive to your neighbor and your business partner, those who are doing work for, and start there. Begin to treat them well. Treat them with grace, honor, charity, love, respect. And then Jesus begins to have a pathway in your life, and it opens up for him. And don't make it too complicated. Don't go too far down the line. What should I do? What should I do? Be where you're at. Be present. Some basic things. This woman who's trying to run her boutique, she's just overwhelmed. Like, you just have to start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Working with another guy's kid, and he's great, and he's, he's kind of moving in photography and film. And we sat down, he showed me all these other uh, uh, prints and websites and materials from all these guys who've been in their career longer than this guy's been alive. Right? He's like, I want to be like those guys. I want something like them. I was like, dude, that's awesome, but like, you're not those guys right now. You're you. you you're just starting where you are. He's like, what this isn't. It's like, well, why don't you start where you can start? Right? 
And he was like, man, but I just know I can do it. I'm like, I know you could probably do it, but you have to get started. I said, and I said, stop. And someone said this to me once. He says, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. That's just a little bit for free in this thing. Like, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. And it's so easy for us to look around and kind of make things more complicated. We want to get there, there, and there. Just start where you're at. People coming out to the desert to see John were just hungry and thirsty and tell them, just start here. Repent for your sins, be baptized, start caring for those around you. And this is the pressure. He's almost taking this pressure off of this, this buildup of the Messiah. And people were expecting a revolt, and they were expecting a war, they were expecting a king. And now they get this sort of advice that's like, yeah, just kind of be kind to one another. <laughs> From this guy in camel hair out in the desert, right? It's just sort of this weird hippie movement of people building out in the desert. That's how Jesus chose to come in and begin, with these kind of people. So it's important that as we learn about John, as we learn about the disciples, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, ourselves, we're learning about God. This is the context that God created for himself, crafted for himself, designed for himself to come down here onto the planet Earth. He chose a crazy guy in camel hair, eating bugs, saying repent, out in the desert, <laughs> telling people that if they have two shirts, they should share one of them. That's how he came in. That's how he came in. That's our God. And Jesus desires the same entryway into our life, this sort of highway in the, in the deserts of our own life. Deserts, in the Hebrew understanding, were uh, lack of life, and, but, but lack of like cultivated life. There's nowhere alone. No life was cultivated. Life, life could be there, but it hasn't been cared for. It hasn't been brought up. It hasn't been cultivated. And Jesus goes into the deserts, and he just likes to cultivate life. He likes to cultivate life in barren, broken, dried up places. I think the question for us and our sort of deep parts of our, our heart and our own sort of quiet times, like, what must I do to clear that road? What must I do? People come, God, what should we do? John, what should we do? What should we do? And the answers are a little different across the board. What should I do? What should we do to create space for Jesus in our life? So Noah's going to come up. We're going to close in a song and just something to reflect on this week as you think about where you're at, who's around you, how are you creating pathway, a highway, roadway through sort of desert wastelands in our own lives, in our own culture, great ways for Jesus. So God, thanks for the text, Lord. Thanks for the inspiration. Uh, God, Holy Spirit, we invite you just to continue to work in this, in this room right now. And as we, as we close out, Holy Spirit, come. Minister to our hearts, Lord. Lord, help us to answer those hard questions of ourselves, God. We want to create space for you in our lives, individually and collectively. Lord, I ask that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen.